tackled about 25 metres out from the Australian line. Benazi on the run again, but the pass goes into touch. And that's it! Australia has won the World Cup! They have done it! What a magic moment for Australian rugby! The first ever team to win the World Cup twice. They are delirious, delighted. Richard Harry, John Eels, what a moment for John Eels. He's been a member of two World Cup winning teams, as has Timmy Horan. And Dan Herbert was alongside Tim Horan in the centres back in 1999. The great Jerry Collins with that fantastic call of the glory days. The second time that the Aussies won Bill in 1999 well they didn't progress beyond the group phase in france it's cost the coach's job and now it's seen the chairman usurped hamish mclennan is gone and dan herbert is the new chair of australian rugby he joins me to chat about the week that was uh dan it's always great to have a have a chat to you how are you doing after the week i'm doing well i'm doing well thanks quinn and uh yeah it's been an interesting week to say the least but thanks for having me how are your energy levels how are you feeling about the way that it all went down Oh look, my energy my energy levels are, are, are great, but uh, in terms of how it went down, look, I'm uh, it hurt me the way it went about. You know, I'm not going to lie that uh, I don't like the public style of uh, of those sorts of things. I think there's always a better way, um, or at least you'd like to think that's the last straw. But uh, but anyway, it, it's happened. Can't change it, and uh, you know we've just got to move forward now. And we know because of your playing career that. Uh, I mean, you're very much a, a rugby person. In these types of chats, there's, there's two parts because you're now on a board, so we've got to do that political mm. bit. And we'll do the footy bit mm. as well. But from the, the political side of things, being in that boardroom, what gave you the impression that the board needed a new direction? Oh, look, we're there to serve our stakeholders. You know, we're, we're there to serve. And, uh, you know, it's... If uh, if the members, your voting members, are telling you that uh, it's time to go, then then it's time to go. Uh, I think I understand it quite well in terms of all of the, the push and pull and the friction points. There's never enough money to do everything, and, and a game like rugby and, and others, you try to spread yourself so far and wide that you end up not doing anything particularly well. You just try to you know keep all the plates spinning, and it's really difficult to do that because you just don't have enough money to do it, and uh, and that's one of the the realities of our sport right now is we want to do everything um, but we don't have the, the funding to do that right now so I think we're going to have to you know we're going to have to prioritize some things and try to do some things really well and uh, get you know get that working so what are you prioritizing what do you need to, to get working well I think the you know one of the big decisions coming up very shortly is uh, a full first full-time head coach of the Wallaroos I think that's that's really important piece of the game strategically and if you look at rugby versus NRL, AFL uh, we're behind uh, in many ways but also in terms of fan support so I remember again looking at it many years ago when the support for AFL was uh, roughly 50-50 league was something like 60-40 uh, and then rugby was well behind that so you know there's an opportunity there where through participation, I mean, I think if you're a participant, something like 12 times more likely to become a paying member of a club. So, uh, if you're getting, if you're growing your participation, then that's gonna that's gonna help because the uh, and that's an area over the last couple of years that has has worked really well for rugby. And I think that again, the previous board should have credit for what they've done around the women's sevens program. They took a, a strategic view of that where it was men's fifteens and women's sevens. So they chose those two 
things to get behind. Now there's an expectation you've got to be able to support men's and women's sevens and fifteens. And you know we've got now a full-time high-performance manager. Shortly the next next will be a full-time coach. You know we're starting to uh, edge the player payments up and uh, trying to keep some of the good talent there. So I think that's a good. That's a really good uh, thing that we can get behind because that'll then encourage more young girls to go to the local club and to play play footy and and uh, and then they'll start to go to Reds and Moratars and Brumbies and Rebels and Force matches and and then they'll go to Wallaby Tests and so all of a sudden you've got your whole family potentially sitting at home watching the rugby as opposed to you know dad and his son so yeah. I think that's I think that's a good thing and and the other thing we need to fix the high performance element you know that's that's the shop front window and by that I mean you know the Wallabies uh, and Wallaroos so we've got an opportunity the Wallaroos right now where it is re- a reasonably centralised um, program even though not by um, you know not by definition but the way it's behaving at the moment and the way it's the program's being delivered is quite centralised and that's I think working well I think we get some good uplift with the men's, where you know we're almost 30 years down the road from professionalism, we've still got the same uh, structure that we had when we started, and uh, and so we need to address some of the shortcomings of that federated model through a much more aligned, high-performance game. Dan Herbert, the new chair of Australian Rugby, is with us. Um, in a sense, you've you've already answered part of this question, but. The way I ask it is a bit more just the the word on the street, the the mood among Australian sport fans. The question is, how do you re-engage the Australian public with rugby? Well, I think that'll depend on on the consumer. I think um, some people... Some people, it might be different things, but I think, you know, I've been around this game for a long time. Winning helps. Winning cures a lot of ills, and uh, we've got to get our, our super... I think the, the community club game, by the way, that's working, you know, so that, first of all, that side of it is working. We need to continually re-energise Super Rugby because that, you know, that was a world leader when it first started and now um, I don't think it is. So that needs to be re-energised and I think one of the reasons that is is our results on the field haven't been good enough. You know, we were at 40-50% win ratio against New Zealand teams. We're now down to around 20% for most of the teams. So you've got to win. People, you know, I said the other day, people don't want to pay good money to see a bad movie. They want their team to perform. And in the NRL and AFL, 50% of your fan base is happy every week. Whereas when you're playing against international opposition, that's not always the case. And particularly when you've got a union as successful as New Zealand rugby that we have to play week in, week out in Super Rugby and then uh, in Bledisloe. So, you know, it's a big ask. They're the most dominant team and, and union historically and uh, and they're in our backyard so we have to beat the Kiwis that's how you re-energise because I think people will get behind them yeah it's a pretty simple way to look at it and it certainly is a I think a proven method in any code you, you're winning you get more bums on seats and eyeballs on screens and mm-hmm. ears on radios and so forth Dan Herbert the new chair of Australian Rugby with us uh, just one specific part of, of Super Rugby and the high performance model without getting bogged down in, in too much of what needs to be done there's a there's a simple a, a simple story that i hear you're you're in a battle for talent and rugby league is the major battle for the kids that come through the private schools because there are more jobs available in the NRL that pay better and there's probably more publicity and third party opportunity in in that rival rugby code at the moment, even though, of course, we know rugby union offers the world and is much more stronger in an international sense. So player managers trying to get their kids a job, i.e. become a mm. professional footballer. 
they pick off your <laughs> your breeding ground, the private schools. Is, is that a part of what you need to look at to help this high-performance regeneration and, and refit? Yeah, it is. It's an important part. And we know that leaving, you know, when kids leave school, that's when a lot of it drops off. And it's probably even before that. You know, it's you're probably talking around the 16, 15, 16, 17-year-old kids. That's, that's important. And we know we're not going to get every one of them. And you can't expect to when you've got... You know, a very financial uh, code with 17 teams, soon to be 18 teams. It's uh, you know, it's a it's a very strong game, and it's a it's a good product too. I like I like rugby league, but uh, but you know, we've got plenty of talent, and uh, you know, also one of the misnomers is that you lose these kids from rugby because they go to a rugby school. Often they're rugby league kids who get given some sort of uh, scholarship to go to a rugby union school, and then they've already signed to go to a rugby league club or they're well on their way anyway. So there's a bit of a, a bit of a misnomer. You know, it is, look, it's always a battle for talent. I just don't think it's NRL, there's AFL, there's basketball. There's, uh, you know, because at that age, got, you know, kids with, you know, good athletic makeup and good hand-eye coordination can, can do just about what they, whatever they choose. They can be good at just mm. about anything. So, um, and, and yeah, I think, so there's, there's yeah. plenty, of, plenty of choices there for them. And I think that the, the the continued debate of how do you get centralisation right, i.e. in high performance right. So we've seen with the AFL, it's ostensibly a, a domestic game run out of Melbourne now. All the states feed yeah. into to what Melbourne does. Uh, the NRL still has its its state bodies and so forth. And this is the now the question for rugby and. You know, obviously professionalism came later in rugby compared to to other footy codes in Australia. So can the federated model survive if we are to be competitive internationally? Or is it a matter of finding grey area or it's it's cut a new page and and rebuild? Uh, Look, I I think initially, I mean, and again, I've I've had various conversations with uh, David Nesfora over in Ireland who's who's been managing their program. I, I sat down with him three years ago when he was back during COVID and, and went through their journey and what they've done. And uh, I've spoken to a number of uh, a number of people over in New Zealand as well when they went through this process. And uh, and they, they all have similar, you know, even Ireland, they have Gaelic football and hurling. They've got soccer. There's plenty of competition for uh, for those, you know, those young kids and those athletes. So they've got some pretty similar challenges to us as, as do New Zealand with the provincial union. So... Uh, and they're slightly different. Both of them are slightly different. Ireland's almost fully centralised, where everyone at the provincial unions is an employee of the Irish Rugby Union. They all sort of answer in like a multinational company. Um, New Zealand's slightly different. But, uh, you know, I'd, I'm not uh, wetted to one or the other. It just has to be we all get on the same page and we all agree what the non-negotiables are. And it has to be we need a winning qualities because the qualities are so important for it's a shop front window the whole nation can get behind that team and it's responsible for most of the revenue that then feeds the rest of the game so the while we start filling out stadiums getting big sponsorships getting better tv money the more money we have then to invest in the community game to grow the participation base so it's it's you know it's a, a multi-pronged thing but we have to get that working and we have to get all of the states agreeing that that is the priority and that they have to work hand in glove with the national union in providing 
players that are ready to play test footy, not turning up and they're not, they're injured or they're not quite fit enough or, you know, and all the things that the previous Wallaby coaches have complained to me about over the years that you expect me to turn miracles in a week or two. That's why I get them before I play the All Blacks. That's, mm. you know, that's not long enough to, um, to, get, to get these guys prepared. So we need to have oversight of what they're doing throughout the year so that when they turn up to Wallaby camp, they're ready to go. A uh, couple of quick ones, Dan. Uh, you've been expansive. It's been great to have a chat to you. Just uh, briefly, five super teams survive, yes or no? Yes. Uh, an Australian coach, next coach of the Wallabies, yes or no? Uh, I don't care. I want the best. I want the best coach. I want the best coach who's going to uh, put us in the best position to beat New Zealand, then beat the Lions, and then potentially, if we're going well, then go into a home World Cup and uh, I know there's there's plenty of information out there or pl- plenty of people will tell me that you know a foreign coach has never won the World Cup well that's yeah that'll get broken at some stage but in plenty of other sports there are world champions and there are world uh, Cup winners where they've had coaches from different countries so I think they just have to be whoever it is they just have to be culturally aware of um, of the country and of the players that they'll be leading. Um, I don't care where they come from. You know, the Wallabies. I think one of the one of the things we need to do really quickly when we uh, you know we get a high performance manager, we get our coach. What we need to do is actually define what the Wallabies stand for, what the Wallaroos stand for, and that identity needs to be something that outlives any coach. It's something that every ex player, every fan can get behind, and then the standards set. You know, and you don't drop it from there, and and that survives any sort of you know coach coming and going. And and for me, that's more important that we know what these guys and girls stand for and that's the standard that the rugby fan in Australia can expect to, to be upheld and uh, and then I think we're in a good position. Here am I standing on the weaning, expecting the catch and pass from Dan Herbert on that one and you just ran with it, Dan, which you did on many occasions. <laughs> it wasn't the quick hand on. I'll, I'll just finish with this one. Um, there's a dirty stigma about the circus of the last six months. Is that, the, is that a part of what needs to, to be fixed? It was seen like there was... You know, Eddie Jones came in. We know what he's done previously, and um, obviously the chairman had his positives and negatives. But uh, if you've, I think you've got to convince people that you're actually a professional organisation that knows what it's doing again. Mm. I agree. I agree. And we can't keep looking backwards, and we'll get a sore neck if we do. So you know, all we can do now is is let our actions speak and uh, and start to take these baby steps forward. And uh, and that's going to take time. Nothing I say to you or your listeners, Quinton, will immediately convince them to, to get on the to get on the page. They'll want to see actions, and, and that's what we'll be doing. It's been a big week, Daniel. Always appreciate your time. Good luck. Thanks very much, Quinton.